0: From the office and manufacturer of Ciraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation in the 21st Century podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create a healthy living Environment. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. Hosted by yours truly, Tom Dioro, producer of the Modern Architect Radio Show at KZSU Stanford University. For our guest today, Let's welcome Susan Jones, architect and founder of Atelier Jones. The firm seeks out sites, buildings, and materials with inherent, I love this, but underutilized value to harvest their embodied energy, their catalytic power for owners and communities, and their beauty. Her work creates delight and wonder in leftover dirty, forgotten places and spaces and materials, creating new uses in innovative and beautiful Ways Susan has forged this cross-disciplinary approach through embracing methodologies mined from sustainability and material research from historic preservation and adaptive reuse movements, real estate development, as well as community activism. For more information, you can visit AtelierJones.com. That's A-T-E-L-I-E-R Jones.com. Susan, welcome to the Architect and Innovation Show. Thank you very much for being here.
1: Thank you, Tom. I'm really, really happy to be back. I think it's been six months since I was back talking to you, maybe seven. It was back in November yes. of 2019. And as, as we all know, a lot has happened since then.
0: Absolutely. Well, speaking of what has happened, we started the show off, it's, it's unique in that I'd love to hear a quote or a mantra, a quote that you have that kind of gets you either through the day or it's a moves you through your life in a very positive way. I'd love to hear... Um, Love to oh, hear who wow. you
1: uh, left. That's a really great question, Tom. And I mean, there's so many different ways that we have to move through this time of, of crisis and time of, of opportunity and innovation and awakening. I mean, today's Juneteenth, for instance, and there's a lot to learn from that holiday, whether it's celebrated in our state or not, which it's not. And so, you know, because we're working at home, most of us I feel very lucky to be working at home. We have the opportunity mm-hmm. to maybe be, be a little more reflective because we're not spending our time doing those crazy commute. And those crazy cars that go up and down the highways. So <laughs> yes. you know there is a lot to learn these days, and there's a lot of cultural and and innovative change going on outside in our sh- streets right today here in Seattle, for instance. And one of the things that keeps coming back to me as something that has really illuminated our practice and how we move forward is. And I'm gonna not. This is the essence of what Keller Easterling would say. These are not her words. And she's a very precise writer and theorist, architect out of Yale, teaches at Yale, has written some beautiful books on social urban issues and somebody I really admire. But so I'm going to really butcher her words because she's just she's a a master of, of the written word. But when you have an intractable problem. Sometimes we can get so focused on trying to solve the problem when, in fact, one of the ways to go about it is to actually make the problem bigger and try to solve multiple problems with each other by creating answers for it the original problem. And I feel like that is a nice uh, way to talk about our practice sometimes, because sometimes we get so focused as a profession on, you know, just solving the problem of the building today or the problem of the client today. And really, when we step back and think about our role in the larger culture of innovation, then it Mm -hmm. gets even more exciting and more meaningful. And I think the meaning is what really sustains me through the day and how we, you know, just pick up the energy and go out and try to be leaders in this world. Uh, that is so uh, in so many ways broken and divided at this point in time in our culture
0: Excellent touching back on that solve multiple problems. I have a strong belief that uh, you as an architect and architects in general really have a positive and major inf- and lasting impact on c- cities and communities. From your perspective, and your experience, would you solve some of those multiple problems? I mean, is there your liberty to share them? I don't have any right or wrong answers, but I- I'm asking yeah. you what what ideas you can think of to solve s- maybe even just a couple of the problems that you see and what to do about it as a as an architect. And a professional.
1: Well, first of all, I want to you know just be clear. I'm, I'm trying to be very humble about this and not you know pretend I have any answers or, or larger answers because I, I think that's we all have our role to play though. And uh, as a practicing architect who's really been committed to the problem, the intractable problem of climate change over the last you know the whole and since our firm was 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 started back in the early 2000s and then before that as my the role as a practicing architect, you know the idea of marrying design, high design and and climate change together in an in investigation of materials that may be lower carbon and I think you know me because of our mm-hmm. mass timber conversation that we had last fall but you know that's been a real force for us is to discover that unillumined potential in our cities in our materials as you mentioned in our work so that is a wonderful thing, and we've really been motivated by the work in our mass timber work, and it's been exciting and a huge journey and brought us into all kinds of places, which I'm, I've talked about elsewhere and I won't repeat here. But we are doing a project, for instance, and I'll try to answer your question, Tom. We are doing a project right now on for housing, and it's, it's workforce housing, middle income. There's some affordable units, but you know, it's middle income housing. This housing project has been started by a client of ours, Capitol Hill Housing, Community Roots Housing now and they have been really eager to reinvent this new notion of workforce housing and how we can provide workforce middle income housing for folks that that really need it. Because places like Seattle, San Francisco, I mean, the rents are Mm -hmm. sky high, right? And that's being driven Mm -hmm. in large part, no fault of theirs, but through the tech industry. And so, you know, there's this missing middle of housing. And that's one of those intractable problems. You know, how do you have my own staff, for instance, architects, young architects be able to afford a place to live? At the same time, we're working on this mass timber thing. And so we get together with uh, the development folks over at Capital Housing and say, you know, geez, what if we did a mass timber project that is really innovative and pushing the boundaries of all of this new code work that I've been working on for the last three or four years and brand new codes in the U.S. and this new material that's emerging out of Europe but is, is still really, really new in the U.S. and how do we really investigate how we collaborate as teams and get these projects done faster in a more efficient manner and build them quicker so that we potentially can build more of them for future housing projects, workforce, middle income housing projects in our cities. Because as you probably know, cities up and down around the whole US, especially up and down the West Coast, are really struggling with their ability to provide housing for some of the affordable levels and middle income folks. So for us it really worked well, where we've been working on this mass timber, lower carbon question for so long in our practice, and now we've got this amazing example to try to build and to put out into the world and to solve another problem, which is that of how do you address this missing middle of housing? And I'm just really excited because we were able to then create this incredible mission driven focus team over the last few few months. Really, since January, we've been in hyperdrive, just working as fast as we possibly can. And even when COVID came along, you know, we lost about four hours, I think, of not, you know, non-productive work time. But we went from the office to our homes in and we were productive that afternoon, thanks to a lot of really innovative technology. And it was super exciting to see the momentum and the force forward uh, going for this project. And we just submitted a building permit uh, to the city of Seattle, a huge set of 200 pages of drawings, you know, on Monday, and I'm still kind of glowing and excited from the experience. <laughs> and we've got a bunch of work ahead of us, but it was a real milestone. And I'm really excited about that.
0: That's terrific. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad. We're talking today with Susan Jones, architect and founder of Atelier Jones. For more information, feel free to visit Atelier Jones at A-T-E-L-I-E-R Jones dot com. Susan, that workforce housing, is that a phrase that's been coined you know, industry-wide or is that unique to uh, community roots housing?
1: No, this is a broad term that's used, and it does have some technical specifications. um, And I'm actually told by my client that I shouldn't be using the words workforce housing. That's an old technical nomenclature, but now there's a new one, uh, which is really called middle income. And and it's based on some specifications, like you said. So, you know, in every community, there's different costs of living and we understand that. And, you know, heaven, Seattle, San Francisco, the Bay Area has a really high cost of living. We know Mm -hmm. that. And yet, you know, we all rely on a lot of services that are provided by levels of folks that don't necessarily meet those income levels. And so it really Creates a gap in the ability to provide good, solid housing for people that are really you know, huge parts of our communities. And so it's based on average medium income and average medium income is fluctuates, right? Per every community. And so you take an average medium income and then you say, okay, well, what's, what's 60% of that? If you are making X amount, but you're only making 60% of the average medium income, that means it's actually really hard for you to find a house or find a living space or an apartment even. And so then, you know, if you're really, if you're making 30%, that's considered affordable housing and zero to 60 percent of average medium income provided by a lot of federal and state and city subsidies, county subsidies across the country. But then if you know, and then the market rate stuff, well, 120 percent and above of, a, of an average and medium income. Well, that's actually working just fine. So the 60 to 120 percent of AMI, that's where it gets a little more difficult. And that's what's defined as, at least in Seattle, by the city of Seattle mayor, middle income housing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I got to get the word well- right myself. <laughs>
0: Well explained. Uh, Your experience of you at Liberty to Share on rain screen exterior siding as well as mass timber. Either one yeah. before or the other, but I'd love to hear your uh, your experience. Well, yeah, this what's
1: exciting about being asked to be on the Sarah Clad podcast. In fact, Tom, I think you and I met in San Francisco when I Correct. was giving Sarah Claude on on Mass Timber. That was really a great session. I've I've spoken for Absolutely. them up here in Seattle, and uh, then they invited me down to San Francisco. I guess it was last summer. It was about a year ago. Anyway, I really like Sarah Clad. We worked with them on a Mass Timber project of ours. It was for the Bellevue First Congregational Church (BFCC) over in Bellevue. Washington not far from Microsoft headquarters. We we use this, you know, beautiful mass timber. It's on the website, you can see it. But we also use their product, the Sarah Clad rain rainscreen product on the outside of the that building. And it was uh, it was interesting to me because they use a lot of recycled plastics and a lot of mm-hmm into the to make their material and that was what attracted me and they're based in japan and uh, i just really thought that their whole mission was really interesting and so we were able to to use that product on the exterior of our church and it was a really way, nice and an economical way to clad that that very budget-driven church project for ours so that was really exciting we do a lot of rain screen work and uh, when we need to we use Sarah Clad. so
0: yeah and then the mass timber. Share with us your experience with it because I'm um, I'm in love with both, obviously, cedar clad and mass timber. So you're like yeah,
1: perfect. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've talked about it uh, a lot, and I, I don't want to repeat for for folks, but you know, for those that don't mm-hmm. know, mass timber are these big panels that are like they're really kind of yeah. clunky, eight feet by forty feet long. They're very strong. They're made out of small trees, small pieces of lumber. And what I was really interested in it was because it's they can make them the panels can be strong enough and large. Enough and durable enough that they can substitute for concrete and steel in our larger buildings. And I did start experimenting with this material way back in 2012, 13, 14, and we built a house that I'm sitting in right now that is made out of mass timber. You can see it right behind me. Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah, you can see it, it, Tom. I don't think your listeners can, but yeah,
0: we'll be um, audio only, but it's let's look at yeah.
1: Yeah, thank you. Anyway, so it was an experimental house. And we were one of the first in the country to build with this material. And because of that, we I was asked to sit on a major code committee to change the codes for national building codes for America. And that was a long journey of about two and a half years. And then after that, we were very lucky to get a wood innovation grant from the USDA, and then able to apply it to this eight storey, a middle-income housing project for Community Roots Housing, and uh, very proud to say that we've worked really closely with the team. And it's just w- roaring ahead, racing ahead. It will be a mass timber hybrid project, so it's not all mass timber. We have this se- seismic deal, so you know we can't put the mass timber as all the walls for a larger oh, building. But the major structural systems are glulam columns and beams, and exit stairs out of what's called a mass. Plywood panel and MPP panel, which is also mass timber product, and then the CLT floors and ceilings that you'll see, you kind of can see in the back of my house right now. And so these small units will be exposed, all open mass timber wooden ceilings with the light captured from them, and having some indirect lighting to splash back on them with the you know the columns and the beams in the in the units. And I'd like to think that the you know the kind of beauty that I can enjoy from this incredibly just Mm -hmm. ancient material of wood. And be something that that is able for everybody to enjoy, and that we don't all have to live in gypsum wallboard boxes, uh, <laughs> yeah. our cities. Yes. <laughs> Please, it can be prov- a lovely experience.
0: Many. I'm going to uh, do a, a bit of a um, a turn here. Is uh, I want to go back to what you said. I think it's fascinating. Is the uh, unilluminated potential and what that means to you, Susan, is I think it's a terrific uh, mm. take.
1: Ooh, it means so many things. Yeah, I gave a talk in, oh, when was it? Like 2002 or something, 2004 maybe. It was about energy waste to energy, and it was about populations and people, individuals sometimes, populations, materials, pockets of our city that are really not appreciated or not used to their fullest extent, and. I, mean, I think we're facing it in so many ways. You know, the African American community is crying out to be recognized fairly, but also for their potential, which has been overlooked for hundreds of years in this, in our culture in America, is just one example that's on the top of my head today. But underutilized anything is just a, it's a waste. And it's really sad. And And I see it in our cities, you know, and I think it's less so now. I think the density issues in our cities have gotten, have put additional pressure on underutilized lots, for instance, that are, or buildings that are just have been built earlier and then are wasted or decaying away or need renovation. I think the whole adaptive reuse movement is part of this. I think historic preservation, you know, while we all love our old buildings today, that wasn't always the case when I was a kid. And historic preservation was kind of a political Mm. issue because it often meant going into neighborhoods that were under appreciated again, and then saving these relics of beauty and and incredible workmanship and materiality and and etc. And I like to think that I have that lens of of being able to look at a person that may not fit in exactly, but in some ways, but also has a tremendous amount of, of viewpoint and interest and depth that is an unusual perspective that's important to bring to the kinds of cultures I want to create within our our own firm at Atelier Jones. I'd like to think of it as a of as a lens that I bring to all of our projects and to really be somebody that can magnify that potential and nurture it and illuminate it over time.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation podcast brought to you by Siraclad where Join today with Susan Jones, architect and founder of Atelier Jones. For more information, you can uh, feel free to visit AtelierJones.com. That's A-T-E-L-I-E-R Jones, AtelierJones.com. That's adaptive reuse. Obviously, we're talking about architecture and innovation in that. But do you think at some point it actually starts within ourselves as people, too?
1: Oh, I think that's a beautiful comment. Absolutely. I I mean, that's what I think this this time of COVID has been obviously super difficult for everybody. And I feel incredibly lucky and humble that we've been able to, you know, keep working, keep working hard. In fact, harder maybe than I've worked in a long time. I think your whole entire team is so, oh, is so zoomed out. And we are so, we've been racing down this line to get to this building permit. And now the GMP set coming up, you know, we're just really productive. You know, I'm in Zooms as I'm sure everybody is, you know, so many of us, but, you know, nine, 10 hours a day. And it's sometimes, it's exhausting oh. sometimes. But I also think that there's a piece of, of kind of stepping back. And I think I, you know, not having to commute, not being in in our home environments, which are more personal, you know, potentially more spiritual, you know, and however you define that, that I do think adds a level of ability to step back and contemplate a little bit. And I, I really want to hope that, that this frenetic level of activity that we are all engaged, we were engaged with pre-COVID, you know, jumping on planes all the time. Got to see you, you know, got to be there. You know, this podcast is going great, jump. You know, if we're not in person, I didn't jump on a plane then. Have to do five different things in in 24 hours, you know, meet this client to, you know, see my daughter, run, You know, work with my mother, you know, go see this Stanford reunion, you know, all this stuff that we had <laughs> planned for those three days, Tom, the last time I saw you, it's just no, I'm here, I, you know, I'm. we're having a great conversation. Technology is completely sub- working for us right now. And I'd like to think that that level of slowing down as a culture and yet being more meaningful and more focused on what we as individuals all have to bring to whatever field that we're in. I'd like to think that that will survive a little bit more and we're not going to just slip so easily back into the 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 frenetic world of of flights and capturing, you know, every single moment live just to do it because it actually I feel like we're being much more productive as a as a culture and we're really unturning a lot of that cultural turmoil that is so rich and so ready to be appreciated and, and worked with. There's a lot of introspection that I think we're undergoing and a lot of action and calls for action, as you know. But I think this is a really exciting time to begin to think about how do we reuse our human potential, both within ourselves and within other overlooked aspects of our culture outside.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well said. I'm going to uh, bring a uh, acknowledgement to Community Roots Housing. And uh, for our our audience, you can find them at communityrootshousing.org. Community Roots Housing envisions Seattle as a place where everyone from teachers and artists to seniors on fixed incomes to young families can set down roots and thrive. Their mission is to build vibrant and engaged communities. Susan, can you share your your experience with Community Roots Housing as well?
1: Yeah, Tom, I, I just feel really lucky. I feel like I've got a great I have a great client right now and they didn't, you know, blink an eye when we went into the next phase of COVID and everybody had to shut down and, you know, the capital markets were going crazy. You know, they didn't blink. This is their mission, is to create affordable and now middle-income housing, and they stuck to it even in what looked like some fairly dark weeks in there in, in mid-March mm-hmm. that we all faced. And I can't say enough of that. You know, that level of loyalty and, and honoring your commitment is just is a huge aspect of a client. And it takes a, a community organization that's been around for 50 years to understand the long-term value in this. And And we all believe that this project is contributing greatly to the issues of housing Housing crisis in our cities and that aren't going to get any better. In fact, have gotten a lot worse after COVID. So, you know, we're designing a 66,000 square foot, eight story. 126 units of uh, middle-income housing on Capitol Hill, and then we just start moving through the the entitlement process really very quickly. Uh, the city of Seattle's mayor has taken an interest in this project and has helped us move forward really well with our excellent entitlement groups. You know, Seattle Department of Construction and Inspections (SCDI) as we know them, and and they've been it's been a fantastic team. But I think the collaboration between all of the team members, both the four COVID and during and, you know, almost post we're at right now has just been incredible. And I, I like to contribute that to the the fact that we're all working on this mission that's larger than any aspect of our team. And that's from the structural engineers to Swinnerton Construction, just amazing folks. The fire protection engineers that I worked with on our code, comm- our ICC code committee, are you know, excellent development representative leader, AP Hurd from Skipstone. Just amazing people that, you know, we have probably a twenty to thirty person team when you have all of those folks involved in one meeting, all of the, the sub folks and you know, my own personal architectural team, I just am so grateful to all of them. But because of the technology, you know, we have been able to stay focused virtually through incredible tools, you know, like Zoom and Bluebeam has just gotten off the charts in my my moment and, and <laughs> as well. Of course, this Revit, which we've used for a while. But to see all of those technological tools help us innovate and help us stay connected and focused has just been an incredible step forward for our firm and given us a lot of confidence to say, you know, we can handle anything. We can, we can be in the middle of a, of a COVID crisis, of an international pandemic and still meet those deadlines and still meet those budgets and still meet our design targets for our clients. So we're really thrilled with that project.
0: Susan, I'm going to circle back to what you'd said earlier, your show, is uh, we all have a role to play, You've brief. You've described it a moment ago, but can you share even even deep dive into that? We all have a role to play. For you,
1: oh wow, for me, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel really lucky because I wanted to be an architect. I knew since I was a kid, and so in a way, I thought, oh, I got this all figured out. I've, I've got a role. <laughs> you know, I, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I mentioned this last time we spoke. I did go to Stanford where you're sitting right now and you know they didn't have an architecture program. And so like, oh okay, great, well okay, I have a role, but now it's got bumped <laughs> over here. Okay, well, okay, so that's fine. So and then I was involved with a large corporate firm and I had a big name and a big title and oh, I, I had a role, but you know, then they, they, I needed to step down for reasons that are too complicated. Oh, had a roll bumped over here. So, and now, you know, we're, I'm working in my own firm and I've been doing this for 15 years and, you know, trying to get projects off the ground, trying to get projects off the ground and becoming more and more focused. On the kinds of projects that I'm really good at, which is innovation and having this larger mission involved and having more complexity in our projects, not being that that firm that or that architect that just does the cookie cutter projects and we roll them out. Although it would be really fun to be able to roll this one out. This low-income, middle-income housing, I'd actually like to do a bunch of them up and down the west Coast so now that we've figured it out. But it's having that larger mission and knowing your place in it and being able to you know mentor a team through the process with my 30 years of experience has been has been really exciting i'd also like to say that the the spatial qualities of light and space that's redundant have been incredibly important to me in terms of the way we build spaces, especially community, cultural, religious spaces, et cetera, but also the space of one's home and whether that's a small apartment that we talked about for Capitol Hill housing, community roots housing, or, you know, my home that I'm sitting in right now, those kind of spiritual qualities, for lack of a better word, are really important to me and having the command of materials and light and view and sight under my belt, so to speak, has been a really Mm -hmm huge privilege for me. And I, I can't wait to design more and more of those going forward.
0: Oh, Susan. Susan, it's it's a, it's always an honor and pleasure having you and speaking with you. Thank you very, very much.
1: Thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate the opportunity and my very best to you on this day. Take care.
0: Thank you very much. Our guest today has been Susan Jones, architect and founder of Atelier Jones. The Atelier Jones seeks out sites, buildings, and materials with inherent but underutilized value to harvest their embodied energy, calytic power for owners and their communities, as well as their beauty. Her work creates delight and wonder, that's for sure, in leftover, dirty, forgotten places and spaces and materials, creating new uses in innovative and beautiful ways. Susan has forged this cross-disciplinary approach by embracing methodologies mined from sustainability and materials research, from historic preservation and adaptive reuse movements, real estate development, as well as community activism. For more information, feel free to visit AtelierJones.com That's AtelierJones.com You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sarah Clad, featuring one-on-one interviews with excellent designers, architects, contractors, city managers and thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovations and solutions that are attractive and affordable while creating a healthy living environment for all Please join us again next time I'm Tom Duro.